episode of Inside the Recording Studio. I am Jody Whitesides, and with me as always is Mr. Chris Elstrom. How are you today, Chris? I am doing okay. I am okay. I've been dealing with some health issues that I'm not going to bore our listeners with, but I am okay. All right. We'll just piss off on that and we'll move forward. Good phrase. Yes, let's do that. So what are we talking about? We are talking about sharing projects and whether you're going to be using stems or multi-tracks to do it and under what guises you would use one or the other, I think. Is that about right? Yeah, that sounds about right. And uh, I know at least I am going to get on my soapbox about the definitions of stems and multi-tracks, but more about that in a minute. So <laughs> okay. what kind of instances would you find yourself when we're talking about sharing projects? What are some of the cases where you might do that? I would look at it from a standpoint of when you're collaborating with someone else, generally mm -hmm. speaking, when you're sharing a project. Other instances are probably a little bit more rare, but when you're collaborating with someone else, that's most often when you're going to be sharing projects, right? When you're collaborating with someone else. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. But also in the case when you are sending your track out to get mixed, or yes. you're out to get mixed, right? There, there are cases where you might actually, if you're sharing the same DAW, there might be cases where you just send them the project file. I would prefer to not get a project file because it generally just means more cleanup work for me. But there are people that just want, yeah, I you know, just send me the Pro Tools files or, or send me the Logic file or any one of those DAWs that you might be sharing. Correct. But that would be another case where you're sharing a project. So, Yes. And generally speaking, as a mix engineer, as two mix engineers on this particular podcast, we are of the mindset, give us the multi-tracks, not the project file. I'm just going to say that right now. I don't prefer to get the, the project file at all. Yeah. And mainly I, because my new mixing DAW is generally one that people don't use for tracking so much yet. So this is true. Yeah. And I think it's also, for me, it goes to the mindset again of having a clean slate of when you start mixing, right? I don't want to necessarily be influenced too much about what they have in their DAW. And I have to find out what things are, get rid of any automation, that type of thing. I want the multi-tracks. I can start from scratch and just get going from there. And I think it just makes the process a whole lot easier as opposed to, in my case, getting a logic file from somebody. So I, I'm with you there. I want the multi-tracks right. right off the bat. But when it comes to collaborating, and we have mentioned this in the past, mm -hmm. where you're working with someone else and what you would like to do is exchange tracks. One of the best sure. things to do if you're working with friends or other collaborators is to know the DAW that they're working in and use the same DAW. That way that you could ideally. technically pass your project files back and forth. It does get complicated when you do that. The unfortunate reality is that there was a system years ago that made it easy to collaborate over the internet yeah. if you had the same DAW. And it was called the Rocket Network. Yeah, was that even was that available in different DAWs? Because I thought that was strictly a logic thing. Initially. No, they had and other think... DAWs as well. They had Pro Tools, they had Cubase. I believe there were a couple of different DAWs that had it at the time. Obviously, there weren't as many DAWs around at that point, but it was DAW to DAW. Okay. 
But Logic had the most complete implementation of it if you got their version. Yeah. And it was pretty impressively that, cool. That was, I was still working with Cubase, I believe, at that point. Well, that's your I fault. Ha, I, <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's where I got my start, you know? <laughs> so, but yeah, so th that was one of those things. And you would think that today, obviously, internet speeds and things are, are infinitely better yes. than they were in the day of the Rocket Network. So, you know, we see some kind of solutions when it comes into sharing this are coming up now and propping up now that are sort of attempting to make that a reality again, I should say. But it seems like it's a little bit more geared at this point for mixed collaborations and giving feedback on mixes and things. Yeah, Would it's not so much that? the recording process anymore. So, but, but that was an interesting concept. But It was. <clears throat> yeah. And what made it better in terms of exchanging files between collaborators is that you didn't have to worry about setting like a pop click at the top of every track that you're sending somebody. Yeah. To have that sync. Yeah. To have the sync because it automatically synced the tracks between the two people or the multiple people that were sharing the project file, so to speak, which was awesome. Nobody's done it I, since. I wonder if Rocket Network has got like some sort of, well, they must. They must have some sort of like copyright or trademark or patent on the process that they used. And it has not reached a point of public domain yet. And nobody's willing to pay the licensing fee to start it up again. <laughs> That's my guess. Could very well be. Could but very well be, yeah. there are companies that are kind of doing something similar-esque in that they're primarily working on feedback systems that are relatively close. They're just not perfect sync. And one of those is SessionWire, which we currently use yeah. a little bit. And there are a few others, but they don't do the same method. So what ends up happening is, is for those of you that wish to collaborate from person to person, you have only a couple of methods to kind of get tracks from one to the other. If you're in the same town, it's fairly easy. You just pop everything on a thumb drive and whip it on over to your buddy's studio and plug that USB drive in and take all the files off and put them on his computer. And then he opens it up when he's doing his thing. And if you're on the internet, you have a couple of different file sharing methods where you can have a private server and you're exchanging files, which is the way you and I do it. Mm -hmm. There's also other things like Dropbox that some people probably use or we transfer for the really big files, things of yeah. that nature that allow you to transfer individual tracks as you're working. But none of them really give you all that face-to-face -face time when you're instantly collaborating at the same time. I would That would be the thing, to go back to have the Rocket Network and to have something like FaceTime or SessionWire going at the same time now would be pretty badass. Yeah. If you ask that me. That would be cool. Yeah. For sharing projects and creating songs between people at this point. There is that. Yeah, and absolutely. Like you mentioned, you at this point, you're sort of tied to the situation where you upload a gigantic file, whether that's just a session file with all the audio and everything to whether it's your Dropbox or you go through WeTransfer or if you have a private server like like we do, and you, you collaborate that way. Mm -hmm. Others as well. Now, I haven't really delved into it, but Gobbler does a similar service where you can upload a session file. And if I remember correctly, it keeps track of which files have been updated and will upload those to the server. So you can collaborate through that service as well. You're going to come up against issues, whatever method that you're using that are not going to necessarily be ideal. Right. 
What are some of those big method issues? Well, it's the, let's say that you're doing the collaboration aspect of it. The, the immediacy, I think, during the creative process is just not there. Because it, unless you're sitting with a video camera like you and I have done in the past where we can talk, there's always a turnover of <laughs> feedback to a certain idea. It's like, hey, right. I, what do you think about this guitar idea? And then you wait four hours until the person has downloaded it and goes, no, I don't like that. Where that would have been you know, a two-second conversation if you're in the same room, right? Or on FaceTime or something similar. Or on FaceTime yeah. or a- any kind of yeah visual medium, I suppose. Right. If we're taking a step here in terms of the subject matter for today, when you are collaborating on a project together, generally you are passing the multi-tracks to each other. Yes. Which is the individual instrument The individual tracks. Yeah. In some cases, you might be passing just the MIDI data. If you both have the same DAW and the same plugins and the same settings, you just pass that MIDI data and that's fairly quick or the audio version of the instrument. So right. that, yeah. that comes with the whole point of the collaboration. When it comes to the mixing thing, you're definitely wanting to bounce out your multi-tracks, your individual yes. instruments for the mixing engineer. And also something that, that you're real big on as well, and this is something that ends up biting just about anybody in the ass at some point, is that if you don't bounce your virtual instruments. Yes, at the time of when you're done tracking, bounce that out and send it to them. Even if that person has the same plugins that you're using or virtual instruments that you're using, for posterity, that's good because we've both been through cases where it's like you you go back and revisit an old session file and then you realize, oh yeah, that, that plugin manufacturer went out of business 10 years ago and it's no longer available. <laughs> right. Well, so, and in a previous episode, we were talking about the creative use of doing loop things. And I mentioned the, yeah. the Fatmatic Pro. I went and pulled that out. I was going to do the Tuesday tip as an example of that. And mm-hmm. of course, that plugin is no longer available. The company that made it, BitShift Audio, not BitShit, but BitShift uh-huh. <laughs> they passed it off to Isotope. Isotope had it for a while, and then Isotope just EOL'd it. It's no longer available, which is kind of sad mm-hmm. because Isotope is fairly good at keeping things alive for the most part. Yeah. So that became a non-issue. But the good thing is, is that I did actually bounce that drum track out that I had in that song from using the Fatmatic Pro, which is, yes, cool. I've become the stickler that I am, and I tell everybody, bounce your shit out. If you yeah. lose your sounds, you're they're gone forever if you don't bounce that out. Yeah, it's just a good habit to get into. And it, you know, with today's technology, it takes you what? A minute if it's slow to do it, you know. So Well, no, if just your track is three do. minutes long and you're doing it in real time, it takes three minutes. But yeah. Well, if you choose to do it in real time, that that's of course true. But but still, okay. Five minutes of your time if it's a long song, right? And then <laughs> being able to pull that up in 10 years down the road, is, is uh, it, it's a simple task, and it's just a workflow thing, so right. that is a good thing. Well, uh, the other thing, about- too, that we should mention about when you're going to pass off your, your multi-tracks to a mixing engineer is, is that you should bounce out all the tracks starting from zero or one, whatever your first bar is, regardless yeah. of whether they're playing anything for 20 or 30 bars. You should mm-hmm. start everything at that zero mark. Otherwise, you're going to give the guy something or the girl something that's doing your mix, where everything's misaligned. 
Yes. And suddenly you get this mix back and they're probably scratching their head like, I'm just going with what they gave me. (laughs) (laughs) It's like they don't know if your timing's wrong because maybe you bounced it out in A format instead of broadcast wave format. And maybe their DAW doesn't pick up the fact that there's a timestamp to it. You don't know. It's always a good idea. Start that bounce for your multitracks to zero or one depending on your DAW, yeah. so that they all start at the same spot, they all run at the same length, and everybody's happy. One other thing that we probably should mention about collaboration, especially mm-hmm. if you're between DAWs, even if you're in the same yeah. DAW, for that matter, your tempo should be set to the same tempo for both projects Indeed. on both sides of the equation, or for however many sides of the equation, if there's more than two or three people. Same yeah. thing with your synchronization settings. You could have the same tempo going, but if your synchronization settings are off, especially if you're working in film and TV type things, if you don't start that your- That could be a nightmare, yes. Oh, it's ridiculous. <laughs> it's like the synchronization settings can discombobulate everything. So yeah. make sure that you're using the same template or the same project file that you start with, that both sides have the same sync settings, the same tempo settings, so that when you do bounce this stuff out, you don't get weird stuff happening when you put it back in on the other side, so to speak. It's just good practice to do that. And like you mentioned, obviously sample rate, given the tempo, if you're- Well, I didn't mention it, but it you just did. And that's a good point too. Sample rate needs to be the same as well. Why is this track so fast? Yeah, because it's different, you know, sample The sample rate. rate's <laughs> different. I recorded yeah. now, it in 48. What are you recording at? 44.1. What are you recording at? 88.2. And you, I'm recording at 96. Well, shit, now I've got four different tempos going on for the same stuff. Yeah. And as we mentioned before as well, is don't output to a higher sample rate because you've recorded at a a lower one. There is no benefit of doing that. If they say, oh, I need your files to be 48K, whatever, then you deliver that. But know that you're not making it better in quality-wise. If you're, I recorded in 44, but I output at 48. Like, yeah, th- there's no benefit of doing that. No, You're- there isn't, technically speaking. You're right. However, that being said, when people were generally recording at 44.1 and video for film and TV were generally working at 48, you might upsample your stereo file, your master file at that point, just so they don't have to do some kind of strange digital conversion for them. You can always oh, double sure. check your, but it doesn't make your song file any better. It doesn't improve the sound quality to record at a lesser sample rate and upsample to a higher sample rate is what yeah. you're trying no, to say. No, that's what I said. So if they want a certain format, but you've already tracked your song at, at a lower sample rate or even higher sample rate, just essentially give the person that you're delivering it to the sample rate that they require. But it's especially crucial for, like you said, for like TB and video and all that kind of thing, because they they tend to live in the 48K world, right? Yes. And it does make a difference. I I ran into it in an instance with a song that I delivered to a film that they used. And the music supervisor contacted me because the mix was done at two different tempos. So Mm -hmm. not only did they have an MP3 version that they initially gave the green light to, when it came time to me sending the WAV file when they asked for it, I gave them the appropriate 48K, but the tempo was a different tempo because of a request from the co-writer on the track wanted a different tempo to the song, which I 
disagreed with, but I gave him a version for him. And the funny thing is it got us the gig when we got into mm-hmm. the movie. But the funny thing is, is the music supervisor contacts me back within a few minutes after they laid it back in and said, uh, is it a different tempo? Is there a reason? <laughs> and of course oh. I knew the reason and I told yeah. him and he actually agreed with me over the co-writer in that the version that I sent him, which was the original tempo of the song was better. Okay. So but, they but ended up recutting. Also- well, the interesting thing is, is they recut the section of the movie. Oh, Jesus. Really? Yes. <laughs> wow. Because they liked the version that I sent them better that wasn't altered in the tempo. And the specific reason was the vocals sounded better. So, that's, you know, it wasn't a massive recut. Rare. I mean, we're just, yeah, it's yeah. extremely rare. I mean, I got yeah. lucky with that. There's no, and the, yeah. you know, the irony, the movie is called Lucky. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so. Well, there you go. Then. If you yeah. want to go find it, the movie's called Lucky. It's starring Colin Hanks. And it's the song in the center of the movie where they do like their collage situation. And it's called Happy When I'm With You. He liked the vocal better in the original tempo. And I got lucky. And that's all I'm going to say about it. But you should always make sure that when you have these different tempos or the different values to a sample rate or whatnot, everything's clearly marked. Because I had literally forgotten that I had given an MP3 bounce of a – I didn't even make a wave version of that stereo mix. I literally gave the co-writer that version just for him to satisfy his whim. Okay. Not thinking about it. These things do happen. They do happen. Right. And you may not get as lucky as I got. So be aware. Yeah. Don't count on being that lucky. (laughs) Right. Exactly. (laughs) You're more likely to get, okay, change it back to the original tempo because we're having all sorts of issues. Right. And that would have Uh, been an even worse thing because then I'd have to go back and figure out the tempo version because I didn't even save like an alternate version for that because I just, I I, disliked it. I just hated the way the voice sounded that. So, and uh, you know, that's where I got lucky. The music supervisor agreed. The voice sounds better in the original tempo. So we've talked about sharing tracks now, either the multi-tracks, we've talked about giving the actual session file and you know the benefits of doing both there perhaps. But one thing I wanted to mention that if you're sharing the actual session file, mm-hmm. I would encourage to remove all sort of automation that you may have written. When you're you talking about doing route. a mix, right? Not during the collaboration. Yeah, thing. yeah, obviously. Yeah, if you're sending it to somebody to mix, not when you're collaborating, because at that point, who cares? You're just, you know, you're just writing. If you are doing it to somebody to deliver for a mix, I would get rid of all that kind of stuff just to make that person have, again, that, that sort of clean palette to kind of start from. Mm-hmm. And that's the way I would like to get them as well if – You know, if I have to start undoing or erasing a lot of data, automation, moves, all this kind of stuff, it's just one extra step for me that I don't really want to have to deal with. And it's not just being lazy, but it's just like it's a lot of unnecessary work before I'm starting to to actually get into the song and mix it. And you wonder why people want to charge more for their mixing talent. Yeah. You're wasting their time. There, There is that, yeah. And uh, last thing, if you are bouncing out the multi-tracks, like you mentioned with, you know, virtual instruments or even any other instruments, if they're just recorded in different bits of the song, make a continuous file, I would very much encourage, and I know you're going to back me up on this, Jody, to 
not print any effects on that track unless absolutely integral for the sound. Keep I got it. your back. <laughs> you got my back. I, I knew I could count on you, buddy. But again, it's one of those things where you may have, oh, that synth part sounds awesome. It's too bad it's drenched in reverb because it, it just kind of gets drowned out now or it might have sounded awesome at the writing stage. Leave those decisions up to the guy that's doing the mixing. Again, I'm talking about mixing, not in collaboration. Sure. Well, the other thing here. that goes hand in hand with this, if you're using things such as guitar amp sim plugins, mm -hmm. obviously you wish to bounce the guitar stems or the bass stems if you're using bass amps emulation as well bass tracks anytime you're using some kind of emulation in that regard of the actual sound you want to make sure you're bouncing that sans you yeah. know your reverbs and your delays generally speaking right and if you're in serious doubt about it do a bounce with the extra effects outside of the sound and one without the effects right in the sound it doubles yeah. your workload, but it may not double the mix engineer's workload. So there. And it can also give you an idea to, to send to the mix engineer where you go, well, this is kind of how I'm hearing this part. You know, I'm, I'm kind of hearing this massive delay bouncing all around or whatever, but you give them a clean track, as it were, mm -hmm. to, to work with. And also, again, there, whether it's whether you're using amp sims on both guitars and bass and whatever you have, Really consider giving them the DI guitar as well if the guitar tone is not working in the mix. Now, you But know, that's that, easy to that's, do. You don't really technically have to bounce that unless it's got multiple comps and tons of different yeah. pieces or regions inside the DAW. Then it makes a good sense to bounce that individual stem out. Or not stem, but bounce that individual multi-track out for that instrument. Absolutely right. Yeah. That's how I would like to get files. That's how I like to give files when I'm doing that, when I've done a session for, you know, recording some tracks for somebody. And I always give them, well, here's the, the full track. Here's the way I hear it sound. There's no effects on it unless, again, integral for the sound. Mm -hmm. And here's the DI. And they're all starting at the same bar and they can pop them into their session and hopefully they're happy. So Right. Anything you want to share to that with sharing projects? No, I think at this point we should take a moment and give our sponsors a moment of our listeners' time. And we're back. What are we moving on to now, Chris? Now it's something that is very, very important to me. <laughs> is this where you're going to get on your cloud? It is when I'm going to get on my soapbox here a oh, little bit, okay. and I apologize, but I really don't. But we're going to talk about the use of the word stem and multitrack. Mm -hmm. They are not the same thing. And I think it's important for everybody that's collaborating that we use a certain language, the way it's intended to avoid any kind of confusion or anything. I recently posted on our social media feed, Bob Clearmountain stating the same thing. Don't send me the stems, send me the multi-tracks. I don't want stems when you're mixing. I want the multi-tracks. And, and what he's is referring the to the fact that when he's doing a mix, not when he's doing something else, correct? Correct. He, he's getting a pop or a rock or any kind of track or, to mix, a song to mix. Mm -hmm. He wants all those individual files and those are 
that's the multi-track. You want all the individual files. A stem is a grouped bunch of tracks, generally in the same family. Like it could be a stereo track of drums. It could be a stereo track with all the percussion, all the guitars, all the synths, what have you. Mm -hmm. They're different things. Now, there are some mastering engineers that like to get stems as opposed to just a stereo file as well, just so that they have a little bit more control over that. But knowing the definition is imperative. And I see a lot of the blurring of those lines today where people ask me, well, you want me to send you the stems? No, I want you to send me the multitracks. <laughs> I, I actually had a conversation with an engineer who had recorded an artist that I ended up mixing. And we were in different DAWs. Okay. And I was talking to him and I said, I, I, can you please send me the, the tracks, the multi-tracks? Oh, you want me to send you the stems? No, I want the multi-tracks. I want everything <laughs> individual. And it ended up with one of those relatively nightmarish situations where I got an audio folder and a Pro Tools file. And it just said, here's the audio. And here's audio one, guitar two. And they were just the regions of audio. They did not start at the same time. Uh. So that was a lot more work than it should have been. <laughs> sure. But that that's because- Were you charging you know, by the hour so that it just started going cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching? That would have been great, wouldn't it? But no, well, it was um, it was a, a different type of project here. But it was one of those things where some communication goes a long way. And I think that's important when we're talking about this. And it's, you know, it's very easy to say, oh, it's just old guy yelling at cloud here, right? <laughs> but- you know, if we don't have definitions of these things and they don't mean anything, then the communication within the industry deteriorates, in my opinion. Sure, so but maybe this is important. also the important step between the amateur and the professional and the hobbyist, for that matter. Well, it could be, but at the same time, you know, hobbyists grow up to be amateurs that end up becoming professionals. And if they carry along the same sort of verbiage with them through their journey, those lines get blurred even more. <laughs> I just thought of that old song, Mama, Don't Let Your Babies Grow Up to Be Cowboys. For some reason, just based on what you just said, Mama, don't let your hobbyists grow up to be amateurs who become professionals <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> Throwing that in my head. That was just weird right there. Yes. All right. But why is it important, Chris? Please tell us. Well, I think it is important just with the communication. So you you avoid any kind of hassle because if people keep referring to multitracks as stems, mm -hmm. more and more people hear that and they adopt that because they think that's the right way of saying it. If you're hanging around, you know, collaborators and things that refer to it as stems and nobody tells you that that's not actually an accurate description, you are going to sort of perpetuate that myth, if you will, by using the same language because that's how you've been taught. FUD. You know, and it doesn't mean that, you know, there's anything bad with, with using a wrong word if you don't know anything different about it. But to change how you're referring to something just betters your communication when it comes to other people that are using it more in the air quote direct way mm -hmm. or, or, or uh, not direct way, proper way. Sure. Or accurate way. So I think that that's where it's, it's a real sticking point for me because there is a 
DAW out now. And I, I'm not going to mention it, but if you're using the DAW, you know which one it is, where it refers to exporting all the multitracks as stems. Mm -hmm. So that blurs the lines even more. That's where, you know, people like you and I get to get on our soapbox for about half an hour <laughs> and talk about this stuff. Do you agree with me or do you have an opposing view? Is it really just me being an old guy yelling at a cloud here, trying to hold on to something that maybe isn't relevant anymore? Because th that might very well be. I don't know. I believe that there is a reason for the definitions for that fine line, that line between clever and stupid, if you were to refer to Spinal Tap. Yeah. Between stems and multi-tracks, there is that. And they come important to things like film and TV. So in this past yeah. week, as an example, mm -hmm. I've been hanging around on a film set. And the director was kind enough to listen to a song that could very well be quite appropriate for the film as they're shooting it. And he, in between their setup times, if you've ever been on a film set, there's a lot of time where there's some downtime. And the director just, he pulled his phone right out and said, is it on Amazon Prime? Because that was his service of choice. And I'm like, yes, it is. So he looks up the song. He literally started playing it right then and there. He's like, oh, this is really great, man. I will do what I can to help you get it to the music supervisor. I make no guarantees that they would put it in this film, but I will at least get your foot in the door. And I was like, great. Thank That's you. That's so awesome. Yeah. No, it's, it's highly unheard of. <laughs> the guy's like super sweet. He's a really nice guy. So he did immediately turn around after saying all this and he goes, you do have the stems, correct? And I said, but of course I do. And I knew exactly what he meant because there are times when they're going to mix something for a film of this nature and they're going to want to alter the mix a little bit if it doesn't fit something correctly. Sure. So it, it yeah, I have the stems. I don't have a problem with it. I also have the multi-tracks. I also have the stereo masters as well. So I have mm -hmm. all versions that I could possibly need for the particular song in question and it's not a problem. But I could not imagine that if he was talking to somebody that didn't know the definitions and he said, do you have the stems? And they're like, uh, I don't know. I could imagine at that point had somebody said something like that because either one, they didn't know the terminology or something else. He might not have been as willing to say, hey, you yeah. know what? I will help you to get your foot in the door with the music supervisor. So knowing the definitions of where your music is going to go or where your client's music is going to go to help not only you and your client, for that matter, is a big deal. Yeah. And I think a lot of people it, pass it off because maybe they're blowing smoke up other people's butt about what they do. And maybe that's where some yeah. of the blurred lines come from when you got some guy who's in a small town who hasn't necessarily done anything on a big scale in, say, a New York or a Los Angeles or a wherever else a music capital of the world might be. It can make a big deal. Yeah, because it, let's say that, you know, this, this director in this case, he, he asks you, do you have the stems? And you go, uh, what does that mean? Now, with that answer, you've already become a headache to him. It's like, this is not something that I want to get involved with. And exactly. You might drop the ball on that, you know. So, but there is... A reason why, presumably, why he asked for stems. He did not want multitracks. And that's because in that industry, film or TV, they are not going to want a music mix with 100 plus tracks. 
No, they're of course not. They want it as simple like, as possible. Yeah. So, no, I, I love this track, Jody, but there's just too much guitars. They take the guitar stem and just lower it to their taste, and you still get your song in there. So mm-hmm. that's how they tend to operate because they have so many other layers of audio that they have to deal with. It's not just your song. It's dialogue, and there's foley, and there's you know effects, and all this kind of stuff that they have to deal with, which gets up to a ridiculous amount of tracks. And now if they have to worry about, wait, was uh, the acoustic guitar track 385 or was it 422, <laughs> you know? Or was there it, a group of them that were all like mashed together through 10 different tracks? That Yeah, it becomes a mess. And you don't want the recording and mixing engineer for the film to go off in a mess of a tangent. Or if you are the mix engineer, once if you're doing a mix from multi-tracks, you should be creating stems as well. And it's not but that's hard also, to do. You know, it's just extra work, but it's good extra work to do. But the idea here is also, and I think it's an important one, where you're handing it to a mix engineer that you're giving them the control of it. Now, it's up to them if they feel that they need to downsize the track count or something, where they got, okay, well, we got a verse bass going on here, and then the synth bass takes over but it's a similar sound in the choruses or whatever. It doubles up. They might want to just kind of hand those down to like one track instead. So, but, but that gives them just a more manageable mix and a track count. But at least that's according to that mix engineer's workflow mm-hmm. so that they can deal with your mix in, in the best way possible. So yeah. well, there other are cases where- for why this is good too in film or TV especially mm-hmm. is that- Maybe there's dialogue going at a certain point where your lead vocal is suddenly going to be a problem, but they love the song sonically speaking. And there's a portion of the song where if they cut it in just right, makes it operate extremely well for their movie or their TV show and giving them the stems allows them to turn the lead vocal on and off. Maybe they just want the backgrounds. Who knows? Maybe a character in the film, if it's integral to what's going on and they're going to sing to this song, they lower the lead vocal and bring up the backing vocals a little bit. And it's almost like a karaoke thing. So there's all kinds of reasons why you're going to need stems. And they are a different use case from the multi-tracks. Yeah, because it makes, again, that person's job a lot easier because like you said it, they love the song but the vocal version of it just doesn't work in this case because it gets in the way of the dialogue all right they can just mute the vocals then right as opposed to having to go through all the multi-tracks and doing that so mm-hmm. yeah same thing with library work where a lot of times you you they request different mixes and different versions of all this kind of stuff but that's muddying the waters a little bit too much but it's you know the difference between Multitrack in stems is huge, and I would implore everybody to know that start using the same defini- definition. Shall we move on? Yeah, I think we've kind of put a bow on that. I think, as far as like, if anybody has any questions, they just hit us up on social media or shoot us an email, and sure. uh, we'll, we'll try to add to it. All right, so let's move on to Friday Finds. Chris, what do you got for us? 
I spend and we spend so much time talking about gear and new plugins and hardware and this and that. But this week, I discovered a new band, a new band for me, at least. It's a band, a a British duo, I think, called Royal Blood and their album called Typhoons. And I had never heard them before. I thought it was fucking great. Mm. So that's my <laughs> that's my pick for my Friday find. It's a band called Royal Blood. They just released a new album, and it's it sounds really modern. It's just great pop rock type of songwriting in a very very modern sense. But it's uh, I would encourage anybody to go check it out. It, it's really really cool. So I have some music for my Friday find. What Sweet. about you, buddy? My uh, pick for this week is that Pro Tools has just got updated mm-hmm. to be able to run on the M1 silicon chips from Apple. So if you are a Pro Tools fan and you are looking to fast forward your life into Apple silicon. Oh, well done, Abbott. Yes, you are now capable of doing so. You will now have at least two DAWs to your belt that can do the M1 stuff natively. That doesn't Very mean cool. all your plugins will be able to do it too, but at least you have Logic, which is already capable, and Pro Tools, which is my pick of the week, are capable of doing it now. Very so cool. Yeah. Awesome. All right. So while awesome. we've got your attention, we'd like to ask you to go to the website and leave us a review at InsideTheRecordingStudio.com forward slash review, or you can just go to the website InsideTheRecordingStudio.com and sign up for our email list. You will get... A special little bundle of plug-in presets from Chris and I for our two favorite non-DAW platforms. In addition to that, you'll get weekly reminders about our Tuesday tips that come out every Tuesday. And we'll make sure that you don't miss any future episodes of the podcast. Plus, if you send us an email at goldstar at insidetherecordingstudio.com with the word multitrack, you'll get something cool back in your inbox. And if you have a topic of suggestion for us to explain in a future episode, contact us via the contact page on our website, and we'll put it into consideration for a future episode. And with that, it's time to say see you next week. Chris. Have a good one, Jody.